0: Hello, this is Andy Mangum. You're listening to Sunday Starter, where we take a no-nonsense look at a upcoming Sunday on the lectionary, and today we're looking at year A, uh, Advent number two, and uh, the text for the whole day are uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, Psalm 72, 1 through 7, and verses 18 and 19, Romans 15, 4 through 13, and Matthew 3, 1 through 12. I'll be looking at the Isaiah text because uh, I'm working through a series I call uh, the Journey to Peace, and um, and so all of the all of the uh, Hebrew Bible reading, Old Testament readings in the lectionary for Year A for Advent are taken from Isaiah, and so that seemed like a really good place to do a sermon series in one in one text. So uh, hear the word uh, then from Isaiah. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be a belt around his waist, and faithfulness uh, a belt around his loins. The lion shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples of the nations, and shall inquire of him, his dwelling shall be glorious." Uh, this is a complex text, and I think it's probably got about four parts to it, uh, though you might see that a little bit differently depending on how you organize things. Uh, but for me, verse one uh, begins with a connection to the Davidic line. That's uh, Jesse is David's father. and so the, stu- uh, the, the the stem that comes out of of jesse is uh, is a reference to um, to to David. Uh, then the next part, uh, verses uh, two and three, uh, description of, um, of him in terms of uh, his wisdom, and um, uh, particularly verse 2, uh, is the, the spirit of the Lord's uh, counsel upon him. Uh, verses 3 through 5, uh, the exercise of j- righteousness and justice. Uh, and then uh, verses uh, 6 through 9, if you want to include verse 10 there, verse 10 really begins a new section um, but it's a vision of Eden restored. Let's look a little bit more deeply into these texts. Um, uh, in terms of, of uh, this Im- image of the root, uh, this, the stump coming out of, the, the, the branch coming out of the stump of Jesse, uh, the New Inter- American Standard uh, Bible includes a temporal marker here. It says, then, um, and, and so there's a day that's envisioned of return uh, of the people, maybe from the, the Babylonian scattering, or uh, there, there is an eschatological theme, obviously, in this text of a looking forward. Uh, there are some touchstones here in the book of Job, um, where Job says, For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease Though its roots grow old in the earth and the stump dies in the ground, yet the scent of water will, it will at the scent of water it will bud and put forth branches like a young plant. But mortals die and are laid lone. Humans expire, and and where they where they are. So, uh, so you know some touchstones there with the wisdom literature. We'll talk about a few others of these, um, but 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 there is this sense that. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, is longing for the recovery of the Davidic line, uh, David, that the great king uh, of all of Israel. Uh, you, you remember that Saul uh, was really the first king of all twelve tribes, the united as to one nation. Uh, David succeeded him, not as an heir, uh, but as a conqueror. And then Solomon, David's son, uh, ruled. And then after Solomon's rule, somewhere along the lines, that two nations divided: Israel in the north and Judah in the south. But but uh, and and so certainly Isaiah contextualized more towards Jerusalem, to the temple, and um, and to to that Davidic line, which which has its origins in Bethlehem. Um, but. Uh, but, but there's, there is a sense in which uh, we're reclaiming a, a unified vision uh, for the people of God under uh, David's reign. So that's, that's all in that first uh, movement. In the second movement, uh, this, this focus on the Spirit of the Lord, um, there's, there's lots of different ways to understand this. Uh, historically, Christianity has taken from this text seven spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit, uh, wisdom understanding counsel might or strength and also courage knowledge and then the 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 tradition adds the word piety and fear of the Lord both the fear of the Lord is repeated multiple times in this text uh, and and so it gets subdivided into piety and the fear of the Lord um, some intertextual uh, relationship here again, Uh, If you look at the book of Proverbs, like I said, the wisdom literature, uh, Job's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, I would include Lamentations there. Uh, But but the wisdom literature really uh, um, uh, seems to have uh, pushed into Isaiah somewhat. Uh, In in Proverbs chapter 8, a a very important passage, uh, I believe, in terms of how we uh, think about both the early church's interpretation of Jesus and also Uh, the Hebrew Bible's understanding of God's work in the world. Uh, Wisdom is personified. Uh, She speaks to us, uh, and in verses uh, 12 through 16 in chapter 8, she sings, I, wisdom, live with prudence, and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance are the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have good advice and sound wisdom, I have insight, I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, rulers rule and nobles, all who govern rightly. So you can hear that, right, that, that this text is about this Davidic line, uh, this uh, rulers and reign, and uh, in this Proverbs text also then um, the emphasis on rulers uh, reigning. Uh, but you hear so many different touchstones of wisdom and prudence, uh, knowledge, discretion, um, uh, uh, sound wisdom, and and strength. So, so uh, you know, real dialogue there intertextually uh, with this text. Uh, one commentator that that we looked at suggested that this is possibly reflective uh, of the origin of the seven pillars in the temple, and also to other references about uh, seven eyes, um, both I think in Zechariah, but also uh, in the Lamb in the Book of Revelation. Uh, it's possible, uh, though in the Hebrew Bible, of course, this is this is only six virtues. Uh, the Septuagint and certainly the Vulgate uh, stretch that to seven. But um, you know, there's questions about where where this comes from, right? You've got seven days of creation, so um, the, this, the number seven sometimes gets superimposed on text. But certainly, there's a, a strong tradition of this. Whenever the word wisdom, literature, wisdom comes up in, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, and uh, especially in the, the Isaiah, uh, Christians will, will think about Jesus. Um, the, the many Christians, especially the first century Christians, uh, after Jesus interpreted both uh, texts like Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, and then really any reference to wisdom in, in the Hebrew Bible as uh, pertaining to Christ himself. Um, uh, proverbs 8 22 through 31 uh, I won't read it here but but it's a passage that uh, continues that monologue from uh, from Sophia from wisdom as she describes how God created her before the foundations of the earth and and called her forth and that through her all creation then came into being uh, there are echoes then of uh, Sophia or uh, the, that's the Greek word that um, don't read Hebrew, so I can't quote the exact Hebrew word there. Uh, but um, but there is that uh, echo of of that tradition uh, playing itself out in the prologue of the Gospel of John, uh, where where John uses the word Logos, word, uh, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God in the beginning. Right, that, that reference to uh, also Proverbs eight, where wisdom is there in the beginning, before. Uh, anything else was created uh, all things came through the word uh, and, uh, and and without the word nothing was created uh, so um, so there's some some interesting uh, uh, current conversations there so we've, we've got uh, a sort of a, an association to wisdom literature and a tradition about how kings will rule uh, we've got an early church and, and continuing church um Uh, Interpretation of this text that's christological, and and then there's the discipleship piece of this. That um, again, the early church clearly understood that um, that this was meant to be uh, uh, something that will follow the pattern uh, for Christians. Then we move into this uh, this middle section where we talk about the the outcomes of the ruler. His his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees. Uh, what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. Um, difficult to interpret that, the New Living Translation, not a translation that I normally resort to, um, but they say uh, we, will not, he will, we will not judge by appearance or make decision based on hearsay. Uh, that, that might be a really helpful way to think about what is being said here. Um, the, the standard by which uh, the, the, the king, the righteous one, judges, Uh, is righteousness, that is, being upright uh, before the Lord. uh, And with righteousness he shall judge or arbitrate for the poor. Uh, He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike uh, the earth, destroying the wicked. Um, You can think about uh, Mary's song as well there, where good things are done for the poor and for the handmaiden being lifted up and those who are mighty being pulled down from their, uh, their storms. Uh, and then the the text moves into this what I would call Eden restored. It is a vision of uh, uh, of wolf and lamb uh, carnivores and herbivores uh, lying down together. Uh, there are several of these uh, texts uh, that that work that way. the leopard and the kid, the calf and the lion, and the child shall lead them. Um, and so there there are these texts, um, uh, that envision right uh, carnivores becoming less carnivorous, and uh, as you hear my carnivores, my dogs lapping water uh, in the background, um, and um, they uh, the, the, the there are examples. For instance, a bear uh, will eat berries and nuts uh, as well as uh, fish and other uh, meat, flesh uh, that. Uh, not all carnivores, are exclusively carnivores, uh, actually very few are exclusively carnivorous. Uh, not likely that the lion could survive on a diet of straw. It takes a particular digestive system to be able to uh, digest um, grass. But, um, but the, the, the broader image here is of, of an Eden restored, of creation restored. Um, and, and certainly this verse 9, They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a vision of uh, all creation being made new in the image of God. So uh, whereas last week we looked at that text that says that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, uh, very much about human life being transformed into something that's sustainable, that allows people to thrive. Here we have a renewal of all creation, so that all creation, not just human beings, but all creation participates in the work of the Lord. So I follow a, um, a pattern of sermon preparation uh, that's built around uh, Paul Scott Wilson's uh, four pages of the sermon. The four pages are uh, what is the trouble in the text and what is the trouble in the world? What's the grace in the text? What's the grace in the world? But really what I find more helpful in his instruction is what he calls the six stops on the way to a sermon. And and those six stops are the text, so what we've done just now looking at um, the biblical text, the theme or the thesis statement, uh, the doctrines that inform that uh, text and that understanding of the sermon uh, the image, what are the, the pictures and the, the metaphors? Uh, he would suggest using one sort of metaphoric cluster is what I would call that, but one central image that works its way through the sermon and then need, what is the need in the world? What are some places where this text ameliorates something uh, tangible in the world? and what is the mission? Um, and so, so I follow that. Uh, it's helpful to remember, his, his uh, own mnemonic for that is, the tiny dog is now mine. So text, theme, doctrine, image, mission, and uh, need and mission. The tiny dog is now mine. Uh, but I want to look at doctrine first and, and, and really just say they're, they're theological questions I find myself grappling with as I read this text. Um, and it primarily relates to who is the agent being envisioned here? Uh, certainly there are many Christians today and, and many Christians over the centuries who have understood the prophetic text like this as direct references to Jesus, that God was inspiring Isaiah or other prophets to write specifically about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and you think about uh, that passage in Luke chapter 24 uh, where Jesus encounters, the risen Christ encounters two disciples on their way to Emmaus and how uh, he, he opens up the scriptures and it, it discloses to them uh, how all of these things had to take place according to prophecy. And, and, and that's, that's, a, uh, that's a legitimate interpretation. In fact, I would say my Bible study uh, serious Bible study in a high school, maybe even junior high, really began with me trying to trace these messianic prophecies through the Hebrew Bible and come up with an understanding of what they all meant. Uh, that said, I, I'm probably at a stage now, not probably, I am at a stage now, where what I believe to be happening really is that uh, that Jesus came and and clearly was God revealed to his disciples and to uh, people, I, I love the description that, that Jesus is God's autobiography, that Jesus is what God wants us to know about God. So I, I have a high Christology, if, if you want to use those kinds of terminology. But I do believe that uh, the, 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 the gospel writers, the early church, Paul, uh, didn't so much uh, draw straight lines from prophetic works to Jesus Christ himself, but rather... Uh, experienced the risen Christ and experienced the crucified one experienced the teaching one experienced the incarnate one and in trying to interpret that in light of their faith they reached back into the prophetic works and found uh, tangible experiences tangible images and and teachings anticipations that seemed to apply to Jesus and worked to interpret how Jesus was in line with the work of, uh, of the Lord throughout history. That's my theology. Uh, so because that's my theology, right, uh, for me, I think Isaiah himself, the prophet, uh, was likely referring to someone in his time. Perhaps King Ahaz, uh, this is maybe after the, the death of Uriah, uh, or, or perhaps there is a, a post-exilic uh, redaction coming into this text uh, from, from, from later on, Um, for a hope for renewal of the monarchy in Jerusalem and a restoration of Jerusalem and Judea uh, all of Israel as uh, a nation that that can hold its own among the Assyrians and the Babylonians who had oppressed them Uh, the early church clearly interpreted this as Jesus Christ Uh, have this passage from Tertullian uh, we says, uh, we need not dwell any longer on this point as if it were not the very Word himself, Jesus, who is spoken of under the name of both wisdom and reason and of divine soul and spirit. He also he became also the Son of God and was begotten, and then proceeded forth from the Lord. Um, so So the early church understood uh, all of these texts as as really pertaining to, uh, to Jesus, there are references throughout uh, the New Testament that will re- retrieve various pieces of this text and uh, understand that. And And then, uh, you know, so so the agent right was the, maybe the king that Isaiah was relating to and hoping to prod in a particular direction, uh, maybe a, a reference to a restored monarchy in jerusalem maybe uh, jesus christ and and then at least as far back as aquinas maybe even earlier um, christian theologians have understood the agent here to be us the 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 seven spiritual gifts are gifts that the god gives to believers uh, and are designed to to draw us into the work of the lord in uh in the world Uh, so so some theological questions there where do you land in all of that, how are you uh, pinpointing the agent that's being talked about here? Um, uh, there's a numerological question, right? Who is the Spirit of God? The Spirit is uh, talked about uh, heavily in verse 2, and the Spirit does is an active agent in this text. Uh, and in the Hebrew Bible, the Spirit of the Lord is given to particular people, uh, to, to Joshua, to Uh, to to David, to others. Uh, In the New Testament, we believe that the Pentecost uh, meant that the Holy Spirit descended on everyone who gives themselves to faith in the Lord. And so so there's some concern there, right? Do you uh, then interpret this text in light of the New Testament experience, uh, or do you take it on its own? And um, you may have some biases there, I certainly do. Uh, But then the third thing here is an eschatological question. Uh, the vision here is not of uh, the destruction of creation. If we talk about eschatology, we're talking about what is God's future activity. What are you anticipating God to do? And and certainly, if you go into uh, b- certain popular bookstores today, uh, there's not a whole lot of these left anymore. But but if you go online and look at eschatology, as an uh, Amazon or something, uh, you're likely to get a, a Tim LaHaye version. Of eschatology, a left behind version of eschatology, uh, that that has a name, right? It's premillennialist uh, dispensationalism. Uh, this idea that that really uh, the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and, and then Jesus will come and and destroy that which is bad and and restore that which is good. Um, and maybe that's it. I mean, right? There's there's certainly echoes of that in this idea, Isaiah text, um, but but I think for many. Christians the word eschatology whether we believe this or not the word itself or the ideas itself conjure up images of the world being destroyed and Christians being transported or all humanity being transported into an eternal realm either heaven or hell if you believe in hell um, and and then um, and then living out eternity in that space uh, the the vision in, you know, in in vision here, however, is of a future action in which creation itself is restored. Um, there is this exaggerated idea that uh, carnivores will become herbivores and they will simply graze along with uh, the, the the sheep and the and the cattle. Um, not meant to be literalized, I don't think they probably knew that carnivores were not going to be able to survive off of grass. Um, but still, this image that. There will be a peacefulness, not only between persons, not only reconciliation, uh, but also a reconciliation to creation itself. Um, so so you know, that gets us through the first uh, three letters, right? The tiny dog, right? Uh, th- uh, text, uh, theme, and uh, well, I haven't got the theme yet. So here's what I would say is my thesis. God envisions a future of restored creation, and Christians should humbly understand their place in the renewal of creation. So that, that's where I would take this. Um, there are so many things going on in this text. You can't account for them all. Uh, I remember back when I was uh, first starting out in preaching, uh, I was preaching a sermon that I had written very thick, very dense, very theological, very academic. And, uh, and I remember standing in the pulpit at First Christian Church in Irving, Texas, and, and I felt, I did didn't—I don't believe God speaks to me audibly, but I felt this, this moment of, of uh, a voice saying to me, they're not there. Uh, meaning the, the seminary professors that I had written for and, and tried to impress and, and tried to, to rise to their expectations, they weren't sitting in my congregation. Uh, and I remember it maybe that week, maybe it was a f- few weeks later, As I was trying to process that experience. I did the math, and if I preached every Sunday from that point, I was probably uh, less than 30, I was 28, maybe 29. And uh, if I preached for the next 35 years, every, most, most Sundays, uh, you know, how many sermons I would preach, how many minutes of preaching that would be, uh, and realize then I had to pace myself uh, and not use all my material in all one shot. So a lot of things going on in this text. I think you've got to focus on one thing. And for me, I think I would focus on um, this relationship as we try to, to draw out the trajectory here, particularly from the ways in which this applies to Jesus Christ uh, and, and Christ's agency to restore creation and to bring justice uh, and in renewal uh, and our participation in that. Um, I, I love, uh, as far as the imagery, uh, I love uh, the image that is crafted in Old Turtle uh, by Douglas Wood, one of my favorite books, uh, where uh, the, the elements of creation, the mountains, the trees, and the antelopes and the animals, others, Um, are in conversation with each other Uh, it starts out as a debate and then old turtle speaks and then it moves into more of a harmonious vision of creation working in collaboration with each other haven't read the book uh, highly recommend you get it it's a beautiful text Um, in terms of need that's the next stop on uh, Paul Scott Wilson's uh, six stops toward a sermon uh, in terms of need, to me that the need here is a bit internal. Uh, this is a space for me to have an internal dialogue uh, with the church, uh, because I see the church today, as, as I think it has been for, for a few centuries now, um, unhelpfully divided into uh, those who are social justice advocates, uh, or maybe not even social justice advocates in the sense that we redesign the system to be more in line with God's vision for humanity, uh, but also just service-oriented people, people who would offer acts of mercy as the application of every text. Every text leads us to do something for our fellow human beings uh, or for creation itself that, that improves a life and it enables human thriving, and I probably belong in that camp more than the other. Uh, though, though I'm aware that um, uh, that the other side of that is the, the devotional devotionalism uh, or discipleship devotionalism, uh, the sense that uh, the purpose of church and and faith in. Uh, and experiences in scripture are to restore us and renew us to reassure us that god loves us and to uh, cultivate our love for god uh, you read augustine's de doctrina christiana uh, on christian doctrine and in and, and, and augustine talks frequently of enjoying god uh, of learning to cultivate this uh, sense of joy or pleasure being uh, connected to and understanding god and um and, and yet I think uh, it is unhelpful to, to fall into one camp or the other. Uh, it's important to see these working both together. I saw this uh, as well last week uh, when we, we looked at the first Sunday of Advent and the Isaiah reading there. Uh, it talks about learning from the Lord and then uh, doing that, uh, that work of making peace. Uh, again, I think the same thing is at work here where um, we cannot divorce uh, the work to create a restored creation in Eden uh, from our devotion to the Lord, and in this case, for our cultivation of an awareness of what the Spirit is doing. Uh, it, it is Jesus' work uh, for me, the, by being clear, right? Um, for me, the, the agent of renewal and restoration in the world is Jesus Christ. It is not us. Uh, we are participants. We are stewards. Uh, we are agents, we are servants within Jesus' plan, God's plan. Uh, I, I cringe every time I hear in my own denomination, disciples will say sometimes that our table is open. Our table is not open. It's Christ's table. Christ opens it up, and that's why all are welcome, uh, because, because Christ welcomes all. Um, it is Christ's work. And so I think the, the need for us uh, is to really claim that, that holistic understanding of Christian faith. That it is not an either-or, uh, either we're we're social justice advocates or um, uh, social compassion agents, or we're we're um, you know me and Jesus kinds of people. I think both have to be connected together, uh, in, importantly. So for me, the mission is for us to see the unity between our spiritual devotion to Jesus Christ as the embodiment of this text trajectory, and as ourselves as stewards of Christ's ongoing work in the world. Uh, It is to be empowered and energized by devotional acts like going to church during Advent and lighting Advent candles and singing the carols that we love and reading the Advent devotional books, Um, seeing the connection between those uh, devotional acts and and as they give us the energy and strength to do uh, the works of service that God has called us to do in the world. So that's my uh, take on Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. Uh, thank you for joining me in this journey. And uh, uh, until we uh, talk again, redeem the commute for the drives are evil.